You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Good morning. It's so great to have you here. I want to let you know that you are in for a treat today. I've got a friend of mine named Dusty Frizzell. He's a pastor in Southern California. He and I worked at the same church uh, years ago. He's been at that church for 12 years. Uh, and it's a church of about 10,000 people, and Dusty uh, oversees the youth and student ministries and young adult ministry, and uh, is just a great guy leading a great ministry there. He's going to come and bring the Lord's word this morning. You're going to be richly blessed. I believe your spiritual walk is going to be increased. But here's one thing I know about Dusty. Not only is he a great guy, not only is he funnier than me, not only is he um, just cool, but Dusty is uh, the real deal. I've watched his life, I've watched how he loves his family, how he loves his children, how he walks with Jesus, and so will you please give a warm Sun Grove welcome to Pastor Dusty Frizzell. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, okay, I got a timer, because you know that's important um, for lunch and stuff, for everybody that wants to eat and stuff later. Um, here's what I want to say today. Uh, the, the big thing I want to say is that Jesus came to announce to the world that it is safe to go into the water of God's love. That God may not be safe for your ego, but he is safe for your soul. Um, I, was, I grew up in Missouri and was a youth pastor there for eight years. I was in this uh, small church that stained glass windows and um, old church, over 100 years old. And one of the elders there at the time, I was early 20s, uh, 2023, 20, probably, when we had this conversation, George was about an 80-year-old um, elder, like an elder within the church. He was elderly, but an elder. And he had mentioned to me, just kind of made this statement about how he tries to remember at the end of the, at the, end of the day, when he's on be, in, his, in his bed, he tries to remember every sin that he had committed that day so that he can ask God to forgive him. And I'd, I'd never really heard of anybody doing that, and I asked him why. I mean, is it just because, you know, you, why do you work at trying to remember everything? And he looked at me like I'm crazy. And he said, because I don't want to die and not have asked for forgiveness. And I once again said, why? <laughs> and he said, I don't want to be in danger of hell. And I, I, I've grown up a little bit and am not as blunt as I once was. But I told one of my elders, <laughs> George, that's heresy, bro. And I probably used the word bro. And, and I said, that, that's not the gospel. Like, if you're saved through your act of memory of the sins you committed by asking is what saves you, then Jesus died on the cross for nothing. That he doesn't have the power to save you from your sin and give you, bring you into a right, right relationship with God. Compare that to a, a man I met in Saltillo, Mexico, several years after that. His name is Jose. And we, were, we had students there, and we were on a mission trip, and we were eating in this village, and Jose came up to me, and he spoke great English, told me his story. He grew up there in Saltillo, but he always, went, and he knew of God, went to like a Catholic school, and, but as he got older, he wanted to like make a lot of money, so he ended up getting into business. He, was, he went to college in America, ended up getting a job that worked half, part the time in Saltillo, Mexico, and part the time... Um, in, in America, in New Jersey, and back and forth, got all money and a house and all this stuff, and he said, but I don't, I'm so far from God, I don't know God, and he, he was telling me all of this, because he'd heard I was a pastor, and we're sitting at this table, and finally he's crying, and he says, what do I do, and I'm like, Jose, so you've heard the story of like the prodigal son, right, Luke chapter 15, and he said, no, and I'm like, what kind of, 
Bible school did you go to, bro? But maybe lost in translation. So I tell him the story of the prodigal son. You know, the story that Jesus kind of made up to tell a bunch of, like if you miss, because the story's later on in the chapter, but Luke 15 verse 1 says, there were tax collectors, prostitutes, you know, this ragtag group of people that would follow Jesus, the people on the margins, and then, of course, the religious leaders. They'd show up, the police-type stuff. Jesus tells this story to tell them about God's good, safe love. Punk kid gets his inheritance, basically says, I wish you were dead so I can have my inheritance now. The dad gives it to him. The Jewish people in the crowd would have been freaked out, right? He gives them the inheritance. The kid goes away. Jesus tells us that the kid blows his money on prostitutes and wild living. He eventually is, is feeding pigs, would like to eat what they eat, thinks to himself, man, the servants in my father's house eat better than this. I'll go home. I'll apologize. He works up the speech, begins the long journey home. Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but take me back as a servant. He's practicing. He's practicing. Jesus says the dad sees the son in the distance. It's as if the dad is coming out every night looking for the son. And then Jesus says, and because I like to tell stories and often it's in front of people, I know a thing or two about storytelling and there's always room for a dramatic pause. So I believe Jesus would have went and then the father ran to the boy. Now, to an, to an American audience, that doesn't mean much. You know, a dad running to a son, that's normal. Jewish men didn't run unless a bear or a lion was chasing them. They wore robes, dude. Like, if you had to run, you had to hike up your robe and run. And it was, that was undignified. So remember, Jesus as the master storyteller, he's telling the story. We know who the father represents. It represents God. And he, excuse me, he, he doesn't care about his, he disregards his dignity to run to the son. And the son says, dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against, the dad interrupts his son and says, that doesn't matter now. You were dead. Now you're alive. You were lost. Now you're home. Kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party. My son is home. And Jesus is saying to us and to Jose, this is who God is. We already know who we are. We're pretty good about talking about, especially religious folks, about how bad we are, about how we're just all miserable sinners. And God keeps saying something new. Jesus came to invite us into his kingdom, this kingdom that he keeps talking about. He's preoccupied with it. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. It's bursting forth from this one. The kingdom is within you. And Jesus said, part of, if you want to come into my kingdom, you must become like a child. And that means a lot of different things, but part of what it means is that I don't have to concern myself anymore with carrying the mattress up the stairs. What I mean is about 10 years ago, we lived in this apartment. My 13-year-old son, Asher, was then three, and we would take his old crib mattress and put it at the top of, this, of our staircase. It had about 22 stairs. It was a good, good long staircase, and we would slide, sit on the mattress and slide down the stairs. And I'm going to show you a little video, a little home video from 10 years ago. Watch it, and then I'll somehow connect it to Jesus. Okay, watch this. Oh, <laughs> 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 
Some videos just need to get worked into a sermon, but I'll make it fit. So he would, as soon as we were done, Ash would be like, again, again, and he would do that all day long if I let him, but I'm the one that had to carry the mattress up the stairs. So I had to put like time limits on it or number limits on it because like I'd get tired, but it's not like he could have carried the mattress up the stairs. He was too little. He wasn't strong enough. And life was a lot more heavy than a mattress. And part of the kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into, the kingdom of his father, the relationship of a child and parent, a cosmic parent that Jesus is inviting us into, part of that is understanding that we can't even carry the mattress anyway. So once we admit that and begin to learn to rely upon him like a child, regardless of your age, this is what Jesus has invited us into. Coming to awaken the human spirit into a new way of knowing God as parent. I say parent because some of you, when you hear the image of a father, you think of your earthly father and that may be an unhealthy memory or even current toxic relationship. And so I promise you, biblically, God's fine with you thinking of him in a different way. Um, Jesus at one point said, oh, Jerusalem, I long to gather you as a hen gathers her, her, her chicks, right? Jesus is okay if you want to think of God. I'm not trying to create some new cult, God as mother, but God's okay. In the Old Testament, God often talks of himself as a nursing mother to Israel, holding her close. The point is that Jesus has come to let us know it's safe to go into the water of God's love because he is good and he is safe and that he loves us. And prayer, prayer is what moves us closer to him, into that relationship. Prayer is breathing for the soul. And if we're honest, we often make prayer, regardless of how long we've been around the church or not, we often make it seem complex. Like, why would I pray? Why do I need to pray? Um, Doesn't God know everything already? Which again, that assumes that the purpose of prayer is to get God a a certain amount of information so that he can then do something for you. But God is not Wikipedia or Google or Siri. At its core, prayer is relationship. Prayer is getting to know God. Um, My wife will call or text me in the middle of the day when she picks up Asher and Silas from school. And she'll tell me about what happened because they tell her right away. And she'll tell me kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when I get home, my boys are both talkers like their dad. And they'll want to tell me about their day. And I've never once yet stopped them and went, yeah, 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 I already know. Mom told me. Okay, tell me something new. Right? Because I know that the process of them explaining about the good, the bad, the trouble, you know, the girl stuff, whatever's going on, the process of that, and then me asking questions that often I already know the answer to. But me asking, this whole process is so important, not only for their soul, but to my heart, right? And yeah, God knows, God knows. But the process of you explaining it to him, but stepping into a moment of believing that God is for you, not against you, that God not only loves you, but he likes you, believing that God wants to pace with you where you actually are, not where you pretend to be or feel like you should be. Like these moments shape who we are. Some people are afraid to pray because they think they have to pray a certain way or say certain words, but that's not biblical. 
One of the best teaching we have about prayer is from Jesus in Matthew 6. He eventually gets to what we call the Lord's Prayer, which that Luke tells us that that actually came about because the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus said what we know the familiar words in, in Matthew 6, this then is how you should pray. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kid. Right, I've got it memorized. I've had my boys memorize it. It's ironic that we memorize it, but Jesus didn't say here's what you need to say when you pray. Here's how you pray. As a matter of fact, I would argue the words we use in prayer are the least important part of the prayer. The essential part of prayer is this. It's just a little mind exercise. You walk with it, so do I, everywhere we go. When you think about how God feels about you, what images come to mind? What emotions come to mind? When you think about how God feels about you, that changes everything, but it also reveals everything. Uh, matter of fact, and again, I, you and I probably won't be praying one-on-one together, but I can often know what a person truly believes about God by listening to how they pray with just a couple people in the room, right? And not, 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 I'm not talking about the kind of prayers we do so that other people will hear us and go, oh, you're really spiritual, you're neat, right? I'm talking about when you're like praying, right? How do you think God feels about you. That's where really it's all going to begin. Simple prayer is simply coming to God in prayer, talking to God as you are, not as you wish you were. But the good, the bad, the ugly, just believing that he is for you. And simple prayer admits that you can't carry the mattress up the stairs. Dom Chapman writes that we should pray as we can, not as we cannot Sometimes we don't pray because our motives aren't good. And those of us that have been religious for a minute, been Christians for a while, um, we, we don't want to pray about certain things. We know our heart is wrong, our motive is wrong. That's not good. And James, Jesus' little brother James writes about this in James 4. And he says there's times when our prayers aren't answered because our motives are not good. But I'm not talking about answers to prayer because that's not necessarily relationship. That's theological. I don't know. That's how God does things in the world. But I'm talking about relationship. Uh, answers to prayer, that's an important topic, but it's another topic. Richard Foster, he writes this. You don't have to be bright, which is good news for someone like me, or pure, or filled with faith, or anything. That, that is what grace means. And not only are we saved by grace, we live by it as well, and we pray by it. My, my two boys come to me with selfish requests because, you know, they're 8 and 13. They come to me with crazy talk. They whine, they complain, right? They, uh, they tell on each other. It's always somebody else's fault, right? And they come to me. And let, I have not set up a system to where I'm like, look, and, and you know, I don't know, get violent or do something that's going to ensure that they quit coming to me with the silliness. Pretend like, you know, you're eight and you have it all together. Like, pretend like you don't need to whine. You know, pretend like your life depends upon you not coming and tattletelling. Right? I haven't set the system up. Because as much as it frustrates me, because I'm not God, but as a decent parent, I want them as they are. Right? And what I've worked really hard to never do is say, you know better than that. Because that's probably true, but here is what they're bringing, and this is reality right now. So how do I help them move from here to maybe just, I wish they were here, but what if we went from here just to here, just right here? What if we did this, right? Like, 
And if I can't deal with reality, then I'm not stepping into good parenting. But what about us? We, already, we, we probably theologically believe God is good. But when we pretend, when we don't bring to him our true motives, we're, we're believing that God, it says something about what we believe God feels about us. Because I'm telling you, God always, first of all, he doesn't step into where you are. He was already there. He already knew. This is simple prayer. Simple prayer is the discipline of simply talking to God, coming to him as you are believing that he is for you, that he loves you. Maybe you have a moment of envy or hatred. Let me just make up a scenario. This would never happen. But let's say you were envious that someone at your job got a promotion that you felt like you deserved. Or there's a, a girl that you work with or go to school with that you're around, and she's pretty, and she gets attention, and you feel like you should get that attention, right? But you've been religious for a minute, and, and you, know how, you know how to pray. And so you, you say things like, God, I know, I know I've been so blessed, and I have so much from you. I have some praise, glory to God. And I should never feel like this, and it's just wrong, and I'm terrible, God. And then you just start beating yourself up. What if instead, since it's in you, what if you brought the envy to God and said it like you actually feel it? God, it's not fair. I'm going to tell you right now, I am just as pretty as her, and I worked just as hard to get attention. I should get the attention that you, and I worked so much harder than that dude. I should get the promotion. He just, you know, kisses up and does whatever, and that's why. What's wrong, God? It's not fair, right? Now, you're like, but that sounds, so, but it's in us, and if we come to God like a child, you know, because kids kind of come as they are. What if we did the same? Now, if you do that, God all of a sudden has space to pace with you from where you are. He may put a scripture on your mind. He may bring a mature believer alongside of you to pace with you. He may give you something to do. He may allow you. He may, he may you know, speak to your mind like, okay, bro, take five minutes and freak out about this, but then be done and grow back up. I don't know. But not coming to God as we really are, that's pretense, that's pretend. It's silly. Because he's the God of the universe and he knows everything already. C.S. Lewis writes, lay before God what is in us, not what should be in us. Okay, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. This, these scriptures have shaped my soul of who I am now. This is the poet fisherman John, one of Jesus' like main guys, right? The guy that you read about in his gospel, John, when he's like, you know, he never mentions his own name, but he's like, the one that Jesus loved, right? Like, own that, by the way. Like, who are you? Ah, the person Jesus loves, right? Here's what he writes in his, one of his letters. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth, and here's how we set our heart at rest in God's presence. If our heart, that word heart in the Greek is the same as thoughts. It was the same idea. Your hearts are where your deepest thoughts are. If our thoughts and hearts condemn us, like, you know, if you have this thought, like, I'm so terrible, I should be better than this, I should be further than this. If, if that's going on, we know that God is greater than our thoughts, and he knows everything. Uh, dusty translation, uh, God already knows, and he still likes you. God, the, the, the gospel is good news. The great news is not, the good news is that God loves you. The great news is that he likes you as you are. Oh, he'll pace with you? Absolutely. He's the God of healing and, and redemption and change. But that takes time. God meets you where you are. He's not frustrated. He's not annoyed. He's not the God of anger. This, the same John who wrote that said, God is love. 
Simple prayer is the most common prayer in scripture. You got Abraham, he laughed at God. And I don't mean like God says something funny and Abraham's like, ha ha, that's funny, God, that's good. No, I mean, God was like, hey, bro, I'm going to start a nation through you. And I know you're like 100, but your wife's going to have a baby. Abraham went, ha ha ha, oh, you're serious. Like laughed at God, right? Moses complained to God often, questioned God's judgment more than once. Lived to tell about it, because that's why we know about it, because he wrote about it. And he was like God's friend. Or David, this is a good one. There's this beautiful passage in Psalm 137, verse 9, where David, the man after God's own heart, prays so eloquently, Lord, take the infants of my enemies and bash their heads up against the rocks. Right? Can you imagine the angels in heaven going, that is so good, David. Beautiful. Beautiful. But he was an ancient person, first of all, right? And a warrior. And this is how they thought. This is how the pagans believed. This is what the gods would do. David owns part of that reality, and he's speaking to the one true God. But he, but he said it. It was in him. Job screamed out, it's not fair, God. Gideon asked for proof, and then he asked for more proof. And then, hey, just while you're at it, could you give me some more proof? And God did. These Prayers may not be proper or righteous or mature, but these men and so many women throughout the scriptures and history, they stuck with God. They were honest. They came as they were, and God then had space to change their heart and their character, and that takes time. So what I want to do is give you some advice. This isn't groundbreaking. This isn't rocket science. It's not even that intellectual, but some advice on just starting simple prayer, because what I've learned over the year, I've been a pastor for 20 years. And what I tend to find is that new believers jump right on this. It's those who've been believers for a while. And the honest ones that go, man, I've been praying for a long time, but I don't come to God like that. So here's some advice on just getting started. The first one is, is kind of the, the framework. It's this, that keep in mind the gospel is good news. I know, again, it's not groundbreaking, but this was Jesus' preoccupation, that the kingdom is good news for the poor. It's good news for the broken and the marginalized that Jesus came to expose the heart of God. Religion had already said for a couple thousand years at that point that here is what you do, right? We, we, we spill blood and we, and we do things with animals and we offer sacrifices because that's what pagans do. And so we'll do it with this God. And even way back then, God was saying it, but it, then again, I don't care about your sacrifices. I don't care about your blood, right? I want your heart. I want your obedience. And Jesus kept coming along saying, it's good news. The heart of God is scandalous, that he is for you, not against you, that God is love, not anger, not annoyance, that the God of the universe loves you as you are. There's no shame in his presence, and that all self-hatred is chased away by the deep and wide, safe love of God. It's all true, by the way, all of it. Jesus revealed what you and I hoped was true all along, that while the road is painful and long, you were never alone. While he might not have plucked you from the fire, he went with you through it. This is the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's good news to the broken. It's not good news to those who want to use their power to control others. It's not good news to those who want to keep the poor poor and make the rich richer. It's not good news to those who ignore justice, but to the marginalized, to the forgotten, to those on the bottom, and to those reaching out to their maker who would admit, I don't really understand half or more of how any of this thing called life works. 
but those who are hanging on to hope that there's hope and that there's light. The gospel is good news, and there is hope, and there is light. I've tasted, I have seen, I have cried out to Jesus in the darkness, and at his name there is light, and after light, nothing ever stays the same. Once you've seen, you cannot unsee, and this is essential because how you see God will determine how you pray. It's good news. He's good. He's loving. He's safe. He is for you. Second piece of advice is getting started. Just start immediately. Begin to talk to God in your own language, in your own personality, in your words, but not too much too soon. And here's what I mean by that. Um, You know, I run every once in a while on a treadmill in an air-conditioned gym with a TV right in front of me. And like on a good day when the music is really good and I got a little extra energy, maybe three miles, right? I'm not going to go out tomorrow and run a marathon because at like mile eight or ten, I might die, right? Like so I'm just not. Now I could train like my wife's done in the past, right? Set up a little training. I mean, I'm not going to do this, by the way, but I could probably. And then maybe after a while, after training, I could run a marathon. If you don't have a daily habit, whether and, and there's things that I would call focused prayer, but that's a, another that's another evolution in the relationship. I'm talking about simple prayer, spontaneously or even planned, coming to God as you are, telling Him the good, the bad, the ugly, what is in you, what is going on in your words, but not too much too soon. If you don't do that on a normal basis, you should not try tonight to go home and spend, you know, four hours straight trying to just talk to God, because that's not a muscle that's been, that's been flexed and stretched and nurtured yet. Begin to come to God daily, even if, if it's for a moment, and lay before him what is in you. There, there's this nun in the 1500s named Teresa of Avila. And she, she wrote this prayer years ago. Oh God, I do not love you. I don't even want to love you. But I want to want to love you. Maybe your prayer is, God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to be. I ha- there are so many things in my mind. First of all, God, I don't know if you're safe. I don't feel safe. I've been burned by certain religious people or certain religious ideas. And, um, and I don't like myself. And I, I pro- I, I'm assuming I project that. Do you like me, God? What if you began with just your questions? What if you began with, God, I don't like prayer. God, I wish you were a vending machine. I wish you would just do what I want. I'm a controller, God. I wish you would do what I want. Amen. Right? What if that was just your prayer for that moment? Third piece of advice, pray even while dwelling on sin. Many of you who've known the Lord for a while, in the middle of doing something you know is wrong, you know is sinful, you don't pray. And after you do it, you don't pray. Because you used to. You used to ask God to forgive you. And you used to feel really bad. And now you still feel bad, but you don't pray because you don't want to be a hypocrite. What if you prayed anyway? What if in the midst of sinning, or the premeditative part when you want to sin, and you maybe feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but you're like, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. What if you prayed anyway? Would you be a hypocrite? I don't, who, who cares? Is, is relationship, here's the question, is relationship more essential than moral consistency? And can I go ahead and push a little further, because I know this is a little awkward, and that's good. Right? Tension is good. I believe, well, 
I'm just stealing from the Bible. The Bible seems to present that moral consistency flows from a safe relationship with God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, his love is intended to turn you from your sin? His love leads us to repentance. If you haven't learned this yet, can I be the bearer of great news? You will not change your heart and change your life by trying harder. You will not get serious about your sin and then change your whole, right? Like, look, there's room for all, there's, Paul says that we should train ourselves for righteousness. Absolutely. That we need to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so we might be healed of our sin, right? This is accountability. That is good. That is godly. That is biblical. But what will change your heart is the love of God and your acceptance. I'm not talking about your belief. Most of you believe God loves you. And a good many of you do not live anything like that. You have so much shame and so much self-hatred. You're disgusted at yourself. This is not good news. Jesus loves you in the midst of your junk and disgust. And he will, and when you begin to live, and this takes time, but when you begin to live in the good, safe love of God, you'll even pray in the midst of sinning, and you'll receive grace. Grace does something to the soul. It often leads us to repentance, life change. And fourth, seek to have uneventful prayer times. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying to the Father. But he's saying this prayer, as we sometimes do, so that others will hear. Jesus said, God, this is eternal life. That we can escape the terribleness of this world and go into a paradise called heaven. No, he didn't say that. I'm just messing. That's how we think of heaven. Jesus said, this is eternal life. That they might know you, the one true God, and that they might know me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word know is a very intimate word. And knowing takes time. That's eternal life, to know God. Right here, right now. My father died about eight years ago. He's my hero. And uh, over the years, I've told a lot of really interesting, dynamic stories about him. They're good. I, I pro- you just have to trust me. You'd like it. You'd like these stories. But um, those, those interesting stories are born out of a lot of normal moments as father and son eating cereal. Or uh, we, didn't, we didn't have a church family, a religious home. And I came to Christ pretty dramatically drunk in my bedroom at 18. And um, everything changed. And I didn't have a single Christian friend in my senior year. The girl I was dating, who's now my wife, she was every weekend at her mom's house. Her parents were divorced. And so I hung out with my dad every weekend. And we'd go rent VHS tapes because it's like 92, 93, right? And we would hang out. And every once in a while, we'd go eat at Taco Bell. And we'd just have this normal life. But it was that normal, uneventful, just he's my dad, right? Like uh, when I was 14 and my dog died, my first dog and, and I was going to a, I was going to, no, I was 13. I was going to my first junior high party. I was in seventh grade, and I was going to an eighth grade party. And I'd already announced to the whole house, including my friends that were hanging, getting ready to go, that when this party's over, I will have an eighth grade girlfriend. Okay, I will have a girl, a girl that's a year older than me, my girlfriend, right? But my dog dies, and I'm just like, oh, whatever, I'm a stupid dog, anyway. And I just try to leave and go to the party, but all my emotions, you know, and my cool guy, 13-year-old self, just coming, and I couldn't, like, see the door, the tears were, and I turn around, 
And my dad's right there. Never said a word. There was, he did quite, so much quiet. He and I were about as opposite as you could get. And I just buried my head in his chest. And he never said a word, ever. I just got to cry there, right? Moments like that because dad was just present. If you spend enough time with God, there will be so many dynamic things. But they're born out of every day. Like, oh my word, Jesus, look. Look at my shopping list. These kids eat so much, right? I don't want to go to the store, right? I got my sweatpants on. I've been home all day. I don't, whatever your life is, right? Tell them. This is one of those, and, and like, you, you don't need to clean it up. My wife often talks about stop editing your prayers, right? Because God's like, it's like he's, you know, like on Facebook, when somebody edits something, it just shows up. Like, God already knows. Yeah, that's what you said, but I know what you think, right? Like, it's all, quit editing your prayers, Asher's 13 now, and he prays because his parents made it a habit. When he was five, we were, you know, just having a spiritual moment as a, as a, as a family. It's before Silas was born. And he and I were just, you know, spending some time together and with the Lord playing Mario Kart on the Wii. And Asher was playing and driving, and this alarm goes off outside of our apartment. Um, and Asher hated car alarms, loud alarms. And so he pauses it and goes, oh, man, God, would you make that alarm? Stop. Thanks, man. Amen. And on the end of amen, car alarm stopped. It had been going for a minute, right? And you can tell me about coincidence and 7 billion people and all the different random I get it. I'm with you. But come on. Like that guy had to have gotten to his apartment, heard, oh, stupid alarm. Why do we even have alarms? Nobody does anything anyway. And he's coming out, right? And when he pushes the beep beep, Asher just said, thanks, man. Amen. It stopped. And Asher dropped the controller, so excited, turned around. He's like, Dad, God answered my prayer. And I'm like, I know, that's amazing. But he prayed about everything. And on and on and on. Even Silas, I had a herniated disc, and I was down and out for like four months could barely preach. I had to do the, this kind of thing, and I couldn't play, and I'm the player, right? I'm not like that kind of player. I get on the floor, and we play, <laughs> and you know, mama doesn't do a lot of that, and so Silas is, his name is Greek. That means man of the woods. The boy would be outside all the time, usually with clothes off except his underwear. That's just Silas, right? And so in public, it's different, but I come home one day. It'd been about four months. I walk in, of course, Silas is in Spider-Man underwear, and there he is. He's got swords in both sides of his underwear, and he looks at me. And he goes, Dad, I'm sick of it. Come here, take a knee. I hadn't even got my backpack off. I thought he wanted to talk to me, so I get on my knee, you know, to get face to face. And he puts his hands on my shoulders, and he begins to pray. Jesus, I'm tired of my dad being hurt. It's not fun. I don't like it. I know mom says you don't always heal people, and you have your reasons. You need to heal my dad, because we need to play. Amen. <laughs> right? And it was about a week later, I was preaching to our college community and my wife was there, and I, would, I was preaching like this. You know, it's just how I, it's kind of where I was physically. And I don't even remember when it happened. It didn't dawn on me until she said something later. All of a sudden, I began talking like this and doing normal dusty stuff and running over here. And, like, and Amy's like, God answered Silas's prayer. And so Silas and I, that night, wrestled, and I got hurt. <laughs> That's okay. Not like injured, terrible hurt, but I was like, okay, I think I probably need to take it slower. We don't come to God in prayer expecting a, vo a voice from a burning bush. Come simply, believing that he is parent, that he is father, that he loves you deeply. Simple prayer is a doorway into the relationship, but you're going to want what I want and what everybody wants. You're going to want to know, God, are you there? Do you speak back? And he does, and which is a whole 
another sermon, but can I just say this? Yes, he speaks. The key is paying attention. The key is paying attention. Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to a bunch of pagans. And he said that God desires, I mean, he's, he's kind of worked this whole thing out. And he desires for all people everywhere to reason with their minds toward him and to feel their way. So whether you're type A and you're a thinker and you're a reasoner and you got no time for us emotional explosion people, you'd, blah, 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 right? you'd reason your way there. But all of us that are, you know, that you would feel your way. This is what it means in the Greek, it literally in the dark, that you would feel your way to God. Some of you... But what, sorry, Paul ends that with because God is not far from any of us. He is present in every square inch of his creation. Some of you are distant from a spouse or a family member, and yet geographically you, you fill the same space. You might be in the, in the room right now, and yet you are worlds apart. And here's why. On some level, and I know it's complicated and layered for every relationship, but at some point one or both of you be, stopped paying attention to the spirit of the other. And now you're disconnected. God is near and speaking. Are you paying attention? God speaks through his creation, right? I mean, God's funny. Just look around. Just literally look around. You'd be like, ha ha, right? Look at me. Laugh. God's funny. But God is also speaking. Look at the diversity in this room. What is that? Look at the animal kingdom. What does that tell us about God, right? You got giraffes. You got giraffes. You got a bunch of horses. That's cool. And God's like, hey, I know. Like, look at hippopotamuses. You, for you serious folk, go to the zoo, find the chimpanzees, and try to still be cool and serious. I'm serious about life. Monkeys are funny, right? When I was little, I was at the zoo with my friend Adrian, these ch- and he was throwing peanuts at the, at the chimpanzees. They got up in the, the corner of the cage. One of them pooped in its hand and ran and slung poo. I'm not making it up. Hit Adrian in the face. And of course, I'm like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> And I really believe with all my heart and theological convictions, God was in heaven at that moment. Moses, come here. Angels, come here. I made monkeys. This is my idea. The way they are. God is funny. God speaks constantly through creation. He speaks through scripture, of course. These are his thoughts, his words. God speaks through mature believers. Right? Doesn't it just make sense that those who pay attention to him the most, that God would speak through them. And ultimately, God speaks from his spirit to your human spirit and mind. God isn't trying to tell us what to do every moment. Take a left turn. I don't know why. Don't, don't take a right turn. That's not maturity. God wants to grow your soul. Now, I don't know a whole lot about planting flowers and stuff, but I do know that when you plant a seed, if you, can, if you continually dig it up and intrude on its growth, it's not going to grow. And God doesn't want puppets. God created human beings with free will, choice. God speaks to us through our human spirit. Proverbs 20, 27, in the New Jerusalem Bible, it reads that the human spirit is the lamp of Yahweh, searching the deepest self. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except his own spirit. But we have the mind of Christ. We can know the thoughts of of God. God speaks through his spirit to our human spirit. It's not magic. It's natural. We do it all the time. When I teach my boys how to dribble and how to pass and how to hit, how to catch, I'm showing them, I'm pacing with them, but they still have free will. They still have will. And so 
I have to somehow communicate my thoughts. And I use verbal words, of course, and God usually doesn't do that with us. He does something far more relational. The way some of you have been married for years can look at each other and know exactly what each other is thinking. And the, and the young folk are like, oh, it's magic. No, it's not magic. It's human. It's, it's as Kevin would say on the office, it's human natural. Okay. Well, I'm not preaching again. I don't need to make a note. That did not work. <laughs> Amos chapter 4, verse 13, the prophet writes, He who forms the mountains, who creates the winds, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord Almighty is his name, the one who reveals his thoughts to human beings. First Kings 19, Elijah the prophet, prophet is told by God, that God is going to pass by and then there's a tornado and then there's an earthquake and there's a fire, but God was not in any, any of these. And in verse 12, it says, after a fire came a gentle whisper. Everyone feels a tornado. Everyone feels an earthquake. If you're in the fire, everyone experiences it. But a whisper, only those who are nearby and paying attention hear the whisper. Are you paying attention? It's not magic. It's natural. God can move your thoughts in a certain direction if you're paying attention, if you're reading the scriptures, if you spend time with other believers, if you're paying attention to what God cares about. I played football in high school, played on the, the defense, but I was a backup for the, both running backs, and I would stay near the, the offensive coach during, during offense, and, and I began to know. And I couldn't ex exactly tell you. It wasn't always because one of the guys just, you know, was super tired or they ran wrong. Or it was just, I began, I'd pay attention to what he paid attention to. I cared about what he cared about. And when he would turn for me and he would turn to yell for Zell, I'd be right there already before, before he turned, right? Because I was paying attention to what he was paying attention to. Do you, do you want to be aware of God's presence? Do you care for the poor? Are you looking in your life and figuring out ways that are appropriate and wise to engage against injustice? Do you, do you work to, to lift up those who are marginalized and pushed out? Right? This is the heart of God. Do you care about truth and yet at the same time care as much about people? This is the heart of God. The praise band is going to come up and I'm going to land this plane I'll tell you this story I heard on a podcast driving here last night by an Old Testament scholar named Peter Inns. He's a, a type A, all in his brain, but his daughter is in her, her 20s and she is depressed and has begun to physically hurt herself. And she was getting ready to go away for 16 months to a, an organization and a place that would take care of, um, of this kind of struggle. And she wanted a Livestrong bracelet. He was traveling, speaking. He was in Atlanta. He was going to get back the day before she left. And she'd asked for a Livestrong bracelet. And he wanted to find one before she left. And he'd looked. He was in Atlanta for a week. And he'd looked all over all these stores. Livestrong bracelets. They're everywhere. Couldn't find one. Got invited to a barbecue by, the night before he left um, by the person that put on the conference. And th this person is, is cooking and flipping hamburgers and has a Livestrong bracelet on. And Peter thought, well, that's cool. He's, he, and he thought to himself, I wonder if he has more. But he went to him and all he said was, hey, you got a, you got a Livestrong bracelet. That's cool. And the guy, that's all he said. And the guy turns and says, yeah, you want one? I got like a whole bag in my, in my closet. I got a bunch, you can have a bunch. Peter didn't 
ask if he, ha- if he had extra. Peter didn't ask if he could have one. Didn't tell him that he was looking for one. All of that. But for someone like Peter, this was a moment that radically shifted something in his spiritual walk. Because to be honest, I followed him for quite a while and he was headed down some pretty theologically liberal paths. And this was a moment. And he could probably, he's pretty smart. He could probably explain it away, power of suggestion, whatever. You, you find what you're looking for. All of these things, you know, I can do it too. But there's also moments where you're reminded, oh my goodness, God likes me. God cares about my family. And while God won't rescue just magically my daughter from depression, he cares about this small, insignificant thing like a Livestrong bracelet that I can bring to her. And just kind of reminded me that he's there. God's here. God is for you, not against you. He is love, not anger or disappointment. I know you've messed up. So have I. And yet, Jesus talks about the Father, the big, good, safe love of God. I would ask that if there's anyone here today, I'm not going to have you do anything in front of a bunch of people, but if you're here and you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you'd say, I'm not religious. But somewhere along the journey, you've come to a point where you believe. And maybe, maybe you couldn't even use that word. Maybe there's something here that you feel about Jesus. Something about the message of the kingdom of God that is good and safe for those who are separated, from those who condemn themselves, from those who, in whatever language you would use, you've cried out for forgiveness. If, if, if you've never prayed to Jesus or you've never asked him to come into your life and you would like to do that, I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. I'm going to keep mine open and just uh, ask you to to be okay with that, me and the Lord and and you. And if if you would say, man, I want to ask Jesus to come into my life. I don't know exactly everything that means, but I know enough. I, I have a sense in my soul that I want him in my life. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand to where I can see it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed. I'm going to pray. And if you raised your hand or if you didn't have the courage to, but it's okay because God knows, then maybe you could use my words and say something like this to the God of the universe. Something like God. hope you're there. Help me know it. Jesus, I believe that you came to set me free from self-hatred and sin. Come into my life, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for me you're alive now. Whatever all of that means, I want to take the next step. Help me, please. Amen. If you did that, man, there are people here. Listen, the good, safe love of God rubs off on those who pay attention to it. And there are people here who have had their lives ruined by Jesus in the most beautiful way. 
and, uh, and it's safe. And if you have enough courage to not only do what you just did, but also come and find Pastor Dave later, some of the staff and elders here, and just say, I did this thing, I prayed, I don't, what do I do? What's next? They would love to talk to you. I would like to say thank you to this wonderful church for allowing me to, to talk about the good, safe love of God. May you, may you today know deep in your spirit that God likes you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.